0: Well, good morning. Uh, this is Doc Scott's Revival Talk here. You know, doing our thing at 7.06 this morning. i um, going to have to figure out what time my summertime is, if it's going to be 7 in the morning or not. It might be. I don't know. might keep it the same. But um, as you can see by the bareness of the walls behind me that my room has been completely uh and um interesting i should show you guys the room all right so this is what it looks like now and i'm going to post a picture later of what it used to look like right and um I think it's a prophetic um, sign that we're at the end of an era here. They're going to be redoing this building. So we're going to be moving next year. But um, I think it's a marking of a transition actually. So um, taking all uh, job offers, I'm considering them all. I'm not quitting here. I'm just saying I'm open to all offers, right? So and I, and I, I'm being funny and serious about that. But um, it's interesting because, like yesterday, when I was starting to take the room down, and the night be- day before, I I had to stop two days ago because it was getting too emotional for me to take the room down. Because in the eleven years that I've been in this room, the Holy Spirit has done so incredibly much with students, and um, most of which is written into a book <laughs> that I haven't. Um, I've, we, My wife and I have had to hold on to publishing before um, I get out of the uh, school system. You know, you don't want to publish a book about all the exploits of the Holy Spirit in your room in 11 years, even though most people know about it. Um, but you don't want that in, like, writing, you know, until you're out. So I think my bare room is a prophetic sign here that there's a transition. And we've been talking about transitions a lot and about what God's doing in the kingdom right now. And coming into a new era. And um, yesterday I was fine. I was able to take it all down and just kind of roll with it. But um, it it really did have like an emotional impact. Because it's like completely undone now, except for this picture of me up here in Haiti, on the wall. And it won't come down. I don't know if y'all can see that. There we go. Ah, there. I'm not taking it down. I figure they will be my memento to whatever comes in here next when they come in with their sledgehammers and whatnot. However, they do this redecorating thing or remodeling thing. So, at any rate, I've been—you know—I was pondering on the way in here about um, several. I mean, many years ago. You know, I feel like I've been in school my whole life <laughs> because I—not literally in school teaching, but in school, school myself. And I remember one of the first leadership books I ever read was Kuzes and Posner's um, leadership challenge. And I remember that the introduction to the book was so much more powerful to me than anything else that I read after that, you know, sometimes I think most of us as writers and authors, whatever we could say a lot more in a lot shorter space, but, um, It's kind of like prophesying you know when you start prophesying you're kind of like feeling your way around like you kind of I get it I call it a little bit of prophetic gibberish until you like hit the thing Holy Ghost is on you're like okay bam that's it yeah I think that's how sometimes we write too but um in that chapter in that introduction he said it was it was like it was like mind-blowing he said basically technology had leveled the playing field you know, that it's no longer the era, and we see the truth of it now. That book was written many years ago. The truth of it is like evident that we're no longer doing the 40-40-40, which is we work 40 years, we get the uh, 40 hours a week, and then we get the $40 watch at the end. That literally, because of, of technology, the hierarchies and the marketplace and corporate America were coming down. And what, and they're not, they're still there in places, of course, but what happened with the advent of the information age was that essentially the one who could, could do something with the information had the most power because now everybody had access to everything on the internet via a keyboard. And so what it did was it leveled these hierarchies in a way that The ones who could literally like take the information and go and run and do with it and take the knowledge part of that and um, recraft it, repackage it, do something different, start their own business, whatever it was. And it changed the way the marketplace was forever. And they said that basically, this is back in like 1990 something, this book I believe was written or 2005 I'm off by 10 years, maybe. But anyway, they said that um, essentially people today are more like independent contractors. You know, we're as good as the last set of skills on our resume and our last gig. And that people tend to get together a lot more in the marketplace, you know, around a project. And then that project goes away. Then they get their next gig. And essentially they're living from gig to gig and they're having to kind of flow with what what's out there in the marketplace, because as the marketplace changed, you know, there were many eras in business. If you didn't change, we saw a lot of companies that's out of business because it couldn't be flexible. You know, I could list several of them that don't exist because they didn't know how to change with the times. And so they, they, that they got wiped out during those times. And now today's corporations look at Amazon. I'm not gonna make a lot of commentary on that one. Um, but, you gotta give them this, they do change for the times. Um, they are, um, and a lot of companies like that. Um, there's a whole commentary on Amazon itself, but I won't go there today. But at any rate, my point is, is that it changed the landscape of what leadership looked like. Because now the underlings, the people that were down here, had access to the same information that the CEOs did. And so it changed, it changed the internal dynamics in corporations and, and the marketplace tremendously. And, but it needed to happen. It needed to happen because it facilitated there's so much more that gets done when the people in that corporation were liberated. How many people were able to like do things with business and kind of uh, forge their own creative path intellectually, occupationally, and all those things. So it's changed the world forever. And And I was thinking about that this morning in regards to what we do in the body of Christ, church leadership, all of that. You know, when Todd Smith talks about a nameless, faceless generation, he's right. That phrase has been around for a while. Um, That prophetically, that phrase about a nameless, faceless generation isn't new, but we're seeing that it's true and so the problem that we have is in many places in the church we still function like CEOs and we still have like a business you know the CEO we have the board we do our stuff and you know I know like um our son is African-American so I I can say this but and it's not just African-American churches but a lot of churches you know and I see it when I go into like church a lot of times. I see it in white church. It's, it's everywhere. But my, you'll hear, you'll understand what I'm saying when I say this. We're still looking to the man of God on the stage. And you go in a lot of a lot, how many people have been in a church where the man of God is the only one that does anything. And so essentially, we're all looking to him, but everybody goes home every day, every Sunday. We go back to what we're doing and nobody in the in the out here in the ecclesia is liberated, or launched, or like, you know, kind of launched into the places of their gifting. We're in an era in the church and the context of revival, right? This is a revival era, tsunami wave revival. It's going to change the planet forever. Um, it's God's initiative. It's His way of bringing. Um, The kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It changes the landscape morally, institutionally. It changes so much. It changes everything. Revival changes everything. And it always starts with the hearts of people. So we've been talking about that. But how does that apply specifically to how we do business in the kingdom and even in church and the body of Christ? I think it does a lot. I think this is an era where it's no longer okay for one man in any organization to have all the cards. Like, that we have to be liberating and employing and, you know, deploying the, the ecclesia at large. I mean, think about it. And I'm not forming a theology here. We could, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I'm just trying to make a point. There are so many people that function in the body of Christ today that if I looked at them, one of my really good friends, I I tell them this straight up. I'm like, I don't know what you are. I don't, you know, if if I'm trying to fit you into the nice five-fold ministry model, I don't know which one of these you are. Because a lot of times I see you as an intercessor. Well, that's not on here exactly that way, right? A lot of times I recognize that he carries this incredible anointing. And things happen in, in, in locations. When he shows up, things shift. Very prophetic kind of a mantle. And other times he looks more apostolic. And again, I'm not forming a theology on fivefold ministry. My point is, is that I see people all the time who function in so many ways that I don't really have the same investment in how we define that. I, I, you know, defining it isn't for me. It's oftentimes for the people that need to define it. But it's like, I watch a young lady in my classroom who's on fire and wants to know what she should do. And I'm like, well, go lay your hands on everybody. You know what I mean? She's functioning in that moment as probably an evangelist, if we had to put her in that category. You know, we look at the demoniac, my wife was the one that pointed this out to me, and it was was just really incredible. But demoniac got set free. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to even ministry school. He didn't go, um, he wasn't even sent by anyone. He, um, you know, he went to the next 10 towns and became an evangelist of one people to Jesus based on his deliverance. So essentially what happens is, is in the context of what Jesus does in and through me, we give that away and it can look a lot broader expression than I think what we always like to keep very locked tight. This is an era where we have to have every single person in Ecclesia functioning in their gift and in their seat. We can't have it be a holy huddle or a holy few. It won't work. There's no way to do a multi billion soul harvest with one person in any organization doing everything and everybody else just being doing what they do and doing. You know, we go to work, we do our stuff. It has to be, we have to have a much broader net for this harvest and it's a place of liberating. And so when Todd talks about nameless and faceless, I think there will be some names and faces people know. I mean, there probably always will be, but I don't think it'll look the same. I think we're gonna see a meeting where like the student who's on fire in my room shows up, Holy Spirit falls, You know, the whole room gets saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and she walks out, and nobody knows who she is. I think that's going to happen a lot. I think we're living in an era of the church where everybody is going to be flowing and moving in their giftedness and their seat. And I don't think that everyone's area of giftedness is going to be so neatly defined. Because even in our seats— you know, you, we are seated for an assignment, right? So what happens when that assignment's done? Like I showed you these walls. Is this assignment done? It very well may, could be, right? So when that assignment is done, there are giftings and releases and mantles and anointings that come upon us because they have a context. We don't get anointed out of a context. In other words, there has to be a demand on heaven for what we're doing. And, and if we pull on heaven to do something, you know, a lot of us would say, we well, want to see signs and wonders. Well, what are you doing? Where, where, where are you at? Like when is the last time you went into Walmart or anywhere or into a local area in your city and began to lay hands on people, baptize them, do whatever, and watch the lame walk and the devils get cast out and people go free? It doesn't happen unless every person is liberated to do that. And I think that that means that there are broader constructs even in how we even see leadership. One, we can't just be isolated. We have to be liberated to do the work. Everybody in the building, no matter what building we're in, has a gift and has an assignment, has a promised future and has a destiny. There are things that God has ordained for them to do. They were created for a purpose and the assignment that's on them. You know, one of the things we've talked about in convergence and this era of, of the church, this new era is that part of the whole thing of convergence and being seated and launched into that place and having the backing of heaven behind us is so that we can do the very thing that God created us to do. Also, The reason Jesus is so into it, because it's the way he establishes his purpose and plans for the planet. He's got a kingdom purpose and plan to reconcile all things to Jesus on the planet. If you wanna know what all things is, it's all things. It's the relationships in your family, it's the ones who aren't saved, it's the restoration of things in the church. In every era of revival, Jesus is usually putting something back on the table or introducing something to the church, ecclesia, that has been pulled off the table. Because what happens is, as we evolve and we step into the plan of man and into man's forms of government, we we step into that whole thing, religious system, right? When we stop looking at the function of the Holy Ghost and we start creating a form, and the form dies and we keep on going, when we do that, that's when it dies. That's when the movement dies. A movement dies is when we elevate the form over the function of the Holy Spirit and we've ceased to listen to Him. And so we have to be open about everything. This is not a season to protect. Not a season to protect the things that I want, to protect my job, to protect my future, to protect what I wanna see happen. And this is not a season where we are protecting the thing that we can't let go of. If you can't let go of your unforgiveness, wrong season. Because in the season of Amplified Grace, Jesus is taking all of that off of us. He's purging us, and he's launching us. He's preparing us to be a habitation. And this is not a season to protect my heart on any level because protection shuts down the work of the Holy Spirit. The nature of being blind, you know, I've said this about our kids. I've said this about different ones. You know, the kid example is a good example, but I've been in the same boat we all have. How many times has your spouse tried to tell you this is where women usually have the right answer. Your husband gets involved in a liaison in business or in this world or that world or a business deal they're doing or whatever. And the wife is saying that person's a bad apple. That person's a bad apple. That person's a bad apple. But we say, no, but this is an opportunity of a lifetime. You know, we probably shouldn't get involved in that. Shouldn't get involved with that. And Women are really good judges of character, let me just say that, they really are. They, they, they're seated in that intuitive place in some ways so much better than we are. And we go ahead and do it anyway, and we watch it play out, and the very thing that happens is true. Why? Because we're blind. I was blind for 10 years that the fact to the fact that Jesus loved me personally, and that Jesus was not the orchestrator of the perfect storm, it was the devil, and I was blind in a place that I believed that God had forgotten about me personally, that he didn't really care about what was important to me because he didn't do the things that were the desire of my heart the way I wanted them, and he allowed a boatload of garbage, the perfect storm, Think about the analogy. Stuff hits the fan. That's all I'm gonna say. He let everything hit the fan that could. And in my ministry world and in my pastor world and in my whatever world, I didn't have a grid for God letting the the hounds of hell being unleashed on our life and literally trying to take us out. Did not have a grid for that. I knew it was in the Bible. I knew that God knew the beginning from the end with Job. He knew who Job was, but I never thought that was going to be me. And when it came to us, I was in the same place. I became blind to what God was doing. So my point is this. You cannot know your own heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. I need, I learned in that place that I needed to listen in a company of people i could not listen in isolation to what holy spirit was saying that my wife and i are a team for a reason either one of us could go off half-cocked on something either one of us i mean can do something that you know we agree we negotiate everything and i'm not just i'm not doing marriage seminar here but i'm saying part of what it means to submit is that we're submitting to one another that we, my wife and I were created as power allies, and you could call it whatever you want, the whole hierarchy thing, I get it, but I'm telling you that functionally, we don't function that way, we function as a team, and we yield to each other. I yield to what I hear in her, and I hear her voice, and vice versa, and I believe that there's something in that for all of us, even in the terms of how we do life in ministry that we need to have people around us that we trust and that we can listen to together because any one person is capable of going off the rails when we don't have a cadre around us of people we trust. It doesn't have to be the biggest group, but anything in isolation becomes a place where we can go off the rails or miss it. I don't have every gift. There, I said it. I don't have them all. My wife has some that I don't have. We're very complimentary. I cook, she puts together furniture. Just saying, that's being funny. I, I do things that she doesn't do. She's, she's, she's prophetic in that she sees the beginning from the end and can look down the road and see something, what the outcome is gonna be. We're prophetic in different ways. Very complimentary. But I think the marriage union Is a very good example of what we need to be forging in our unions and our relationships in the body of Christ. I'm not talking specifically about how we can construct leadership. I'm not ready to take that topic on. But I am saying. That we need to be among a people, and I believe that when you are seated and you are among your people, you will find the people around you who will walk the journey out with you, and listen to you, and pray with you, and connect with you, and hear together. No one person can hear for everybody. I can. If I'm the if I'm the head of a corporation, I cannot know everything that's going on in my business. I can't. I have to rely on the people that are around me who are hearing and seeing to come together to get the heartbeat of what's going on in my business. This is the same thing for us in the body of Christ. The thing that we have done the least well in many places is community. I'm watching Heartland last night. My, you know, one of my favorite shows, right? It's a show that makes me cry. I'm on my third time through it. I don't know why. I think it's because everybody does the right thing. Do you see people that have a heart? There's a community of people that comes together to build a barn that just got burned down. And I'm over here like, oh, this is like killing me, right? Because it's beautiful. Because here's what the enemy does in in this day and time. The enemy's biggest strategy is to move every one of us into a place of isolation. If we are isolated, we are rendered ineffective and we do not function the way we need to function. You cannot function alone in this hour, in this era of the church. We must function corporately in a body and it's surrounded by people who know us well, who know my blind spots, who know my shortcomings and can speak into my life. We have to. There is way, if revival changes everything, if the landscape of my country in the context of forced change is happening so fast and we're dealing in acceleration, we are in an accelerated season in an accelerated season where things happen via suddenly and things that used to take 25 years to plant and grow, explode just like that. Acceleration, acceleration, acceleration. That's where we're living. And we're living in a place of holy chaos, holy disorientation, where the only thing we can do is cling to Jesus himself. That's what he's wanted all along. Like, yo, hello, I want, I want my people to cling to me and respond to my voice. Simple. Bill Johnson says it this way. You want perfect theology? Look at Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. You want a model for how we should do life? Look at Jesus. He's perfect theology. And we can't function in isolation. We just can't. We can't function alone anymore. We have to be intentional about building community. We have to be intentional about building ecclesia in every region. The ecclesia is the entity that God designed to bring the dominion of heaven on the earth. And we have to become that ecclesia. And in order to do that, every person in that ecclesia has to be liberated to do what they do. We have to give permission for people to do what they do, to take it and run with it and bless it. We also have to be the people who want to go do it. This is, not, this is the hour and the time where God is depositing dreams and visions like no other time before. He's put stuff in you. He's moved the pieces on the chessboard and aligned you for such a time as this. And the such a time as this is not for me to sit on my bum and do nothing. He is releasing assignments. He's calling forth assignments. He's releasing prophetic words. He's calling for the fulfillment of words that have been spoken over our lives for years. He's fulfilling promises. We're in an avalanche season of promise fulfilled. We are. It's called convergence. It's called um, synergy. It's when the synergy of the ages and who we are. Look. We won't be able to keep our own territory and have revival. Can't, Can't happen. Can't happen. Revival isn't for one church, not for one person, one body. God may use a body to bring a a hub and to be a fire for that region, for that whole area, for whatever, for that city. It will come oftentimes that way. As we saw in Toronto, you know, we talked yesterday about there has to be the scatter effect for revival to happen. And honestly, the hubs that get formed that become habitations and fire centers of revival are there to release the scatter. They are there and God creates them so that the people will come and they will. This, our local church here, Remnant, we're, there's there going to be notoriety that comes with and in your city too. There are going to be hubs in every city and every place that that are on fire. There are little fires all over the country and there'll be some hubs that, that have a whole lot of explosive fire on them and people are coming to them from all over the world. That's what we see in Dawsonville. That's what we're going to see here locally. I believe that with all my heart. Because that's what happens. He creates the bonfire. People come to the light of the bonfire seeking God, wanting to be set free, wanting to be, have revival, wanting to come out of a place of desperation and dryness and deadness and being asleep. And they want to wake up. And then they go. And the greater measure of what happens in a worldwide revival is in the scatter. When the people that come get lit and go and they take it to the byways and the streets, to the business, to the marketplace, to their church, everywhere. That is a liberated body of Christ. So two things. We need local ecclesia and we need that as a safe place. where we can hear together for what God is doing in our regions and our time. And we also need to have a we need to have people released to do what they do. Our job is probably to kick people out of their seats and into the thing they're doing. Is to launch them into their destinies, to launch them into the very thing they were created for. The shifts and the changes and the suddenlies and the forced change is God's initiation of that process. He brings it that way with force change and suddenlies and power to and grace for all the garbage to get out of us and all of that, not so that we can just enjoy our cup of tea and be okay. It's so that we would be liberated to the earth to carry the kingdom of heaven throughout the whole world. It's He's relocating us. Some of you are moving. We're being relocated. We're being shifted. He's changing everything about how we do. This is a time to be asking Holy Spirit if, I, if you want to come, Holy Ghost, and wipe our slate clean, and you want to write on us as a blank canvas, come on and do it. Some things that we've had prophetically are going to stay on the docket. I believe that. But because they weren't fulfilled, we talked a lot about this thing about crossing thresholds. Every time you came to a threshold and you did not cross over into your destiny and you cycled back through, like many of us have done, there was an invitation on that season and the prophetic words that were for that season were true. They weren't bogus. They were true. Just because a prophetic word is true, it doesn't mean we prophesy gold and we prophesy and we call people out into what the Father is saying. We launch them into their destinies. Prophetic invitation does not necessarily mean that there's going to be a manifestation because there's a whole lot of other things that have to come into play in that manifestation. And if we cycle through, came to a threshold and we didn't cross over, The question becomes, what about what you said here is still true? I say, we have to open our hands back up and say, you know what? Maybe what you were saying was for that seat and for that assignment and that invitation at that time. And, and if, when it blew up or when it changed course, when it did whatever, it didn't all happen. I feel like there is a renegotiating of the contract of prophetic on the table. That Jesus is renegotiating contracts of prophetic words that he's spoken in the prophetic. You cannot take a prophetic word from 20 years ago, lock, stock, and barrel, and still be trying to hold on to it as fresh manna for today. It will lead you back into a place of religion and to whatever, but it's not what the Holy Spirit is saying today necessarily. It doesn't mean that they're all void, it may mean. That they're being revamped. It may mean that he's tweaking. And honestly, what does that do for us? If you're living in a place where you're not seeing something happen because you're holding on to a prophetic word back here, you might want to reevaluate. Just saying. Because here's the thing that God's not going to do He's not going to leave us in a place that we are not dependent. Some of us have run with words and we've left Jesus behind because we were running on an old word. We're running on something he spoke back here and we get down the road, we wonder why. Why is this not working? Why is this not happening? I'm not saying they're not valuable. Reread them, go through them. I'm saying put on some new glasses when you read them. And this time we say Holy ghost, right? Let's look at that word again because he's never going to put us in a place where we are not dependent upon him. And every hour that we live, every single hour we are dependent and it could change in the next hour. He's not letting us out of that place where we are radically dependent on hearing his voice. We cannot run on yesterday's word. We need today's word. We need the new fresh manna. And we need to have an open hand about everything we're doing. Lord, this is how we've been doing family. What do you wanna do? This is how we've been doing church. What do you wanna do? This is how we've been doing business. What do you wanna do? If you're stuck and you're not seeing movement, there's a reason. And it's not because you're in sin. Necessarily, or because whatever. It's not necessarily something you're doing wrong. It might be that you need to come into alignment with the fresh word and manna from heaven that he's releasing today. And that word will change your landscape. If I was running on yesterday's manna, my wife and I wouldn't have had a suddenly and ended up in a different church. Suddenly's are messy. Force change is messy. I don't mean this callously, but deal with it. There's nothing about revival that's not messy. It is messy, but it's the grandest opportunity that we'll have to reevaluate everything we do, to literally listen again for the thing that God is doing, to see again, to hear again, but do it corporately. Don't do it alone. If it's just me and a buddy that go off in here and that's all we do, it won't happen. Do it in a larger group of people that you trust. Do it with people that know you well, so that when I'm listening and hearing, I've got somebody else to bounce. No one can be an island to ourselves. We go into places of error and places where we mess things up. When we just go through our grit, look, I don't have every gift, not at all. I don't have them all. I need I don't have to have them all to do what I do well. I just have to surround myself with people that do. I need to surround myself with people who have what I don't have. And then there's safety. Listening alone is a dangerous place. We all need to listen for ourselves on our own, but we need to listen in union so that we come into places of agreement. Agreement, Jesus says, when we agree, we can have everything everything. If you want to know how you decree a word and make a declaration in the spirit, in the unseen world that frames up in front of you and becomes reality, it's because you've heard it in heaven and you've heard it and it's been confirmed and it's something that you've heard in the company of others. That's a word that you can stand on. I'm not saying we don't have places where we have our own places of hearing and our own places of speaking. I'm not talking about every declaration you make over your family has to be heard with your neighbor. I'm talking about when it comes to figuring out how we do what we do today. When in an era where Jesus is changing the landscape of everything, the hierarchies are coming down. They really are. God is not building mega church supermodel thing. It's not what He's doing. He's redesigning everything and the landscape is his. So jump in. Bless you guys.